You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast. The first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 22, War Horse. And coming to you from the unseasonably cool suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from Rhode Island, this is John No Martin Birch nickname this week, Matola. <laughs> Did you just forget? Yeah, I forgot, but I also like, this isn't like a white snake episode or something. So oh. you want to save I'll some wait. for like the more like Martin Birch centric albums? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah and I, honestly, I don't even know who produced this album. It might have been Martin Birch. I have no clue. But. I don't even know if there is information about who produced this album. Well, probably not, but I'm going to, I'm going to save some of them because they're, there's only so many nicknames the man has. I got I to space yeah, them out. You've, you've got to conserve those things. Yeah. So if you want to keep up to date on the show, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, your preferred podcatcher. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Click the bell for notifications. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and all that information is consolidated at deeppurplepodcast.com. If you like what you hear, if you get some value from this show, if it entertains you during your morning commute or, or keeps you happy with information about Deep Purple, why don't you become a patron on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can support the show up to the $5 tier. And hey, you know, if you want to donate more, $25, $50 a month, whatever, just contact me. I'll create a new tier for you for sure. And to help new people discover the show, the best way to do that is to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, which is great because we have some new ones to go over this week. I was I was just going to ask, do we have any new ratings? We any do, reviews? and uh, I hadn't checked in a while, and I think I brought it up on the last episode. I was like, oh, I should check, and we have uh, quite a few more, so that's great. Uh, before we carry on, though, I'd like to thank our patrons, Clay Wambacher and Steve Seaborg, coming on at the $5 tier, Peter Gardot at the $3 tier, and Els Murders at the $1 tier. Thank you very much to all of you. So, we uh, a lot kind of going on on social media this week, a lot today, too. It just seems like on the days of the show, there's like just so much going on. I, I don't even bother covering it on the show because I, I can't keep up. But um, for Apple, we got an Apple podcast. We got... Quite a few reviews. This one is from Bogue Herb Lives. It's a five star review and it's uh, entitled Mark Three exclamation point. <laughs> it says it took me a while to warm up to the podcast. I'm a big purple fan, but Mark One leaves me cold. Hey, join mm. the club, buddy. Took us a while <laughs> to warm up to. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. However, when the show about the concerto popped up, I started to get interested. Then Mark Two and the five great albums. Now for the cream, Mark Three. The burn episode was great, and now I'm chomping at the bit to hear Nathan and John's take on my favorite DP album, Stormbringer, which yes. has since come out, uh, but I'm way behind in these. <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys. Great format and knowledge. Good to hear real fans talk about this great band. Cool. So great review. I was thinking, I was actually listening to a podcast this morning while I was mowing the lawn, and. They were. T- I, I was like, you know, hey, if we get a bad review, we'll read the bad review, no problem. But then they said, um, 
they they read a bad review on their podcast and it just basically encouraged people to continue writing really scathing bad reviews so they get munched <laughs> on the podcast. So I was like, okay, well, we haven't had any bad reviews, which is nice. Thank you. But if we do, we're not going to publicize those probably for that reason. We don't want to encourage people to leave one-star reviews and bash us. Um, but if you leave a, a good review, we'll definitely read it. And again, not because we're afraid of the criticism, but it had not even occurred to me until I heard that podcast say that, and I don't want to encourage people to write reviews just to get mentioned on the show. Well, I mean, I think it would be all um, like positivity or like um, critical um, criticism. You know what I mean? Like you've read a couple that have been not not uncomplimentary, but like a little critical, like, well, why, why are you doing this? Or yeah. you should do that. Or I, I don't really enjoy this that much. I mean, stuff that's useful or, uh, you know, respectful is cool, but like stuff that's just like scathing or disrespectful is kind of like, well, what's the point, you know? Well, right. People that are just trying for the shock value, like your podcast is a cesspool. It stinks like raw turds or whatever, you know, you, well, you know, that's just not useful, but yeah, like there's been people that pointed out, errors we've made or things that they don't like about the show or, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's so cool. totally fine with that. Yeah, that's we'll, cool. I mean, that's what, that's, uh, as you've always said, that's what we welcome. So absolutely. Um, next up, we've got, uh, Jaime Pab and it's, uh, it's titled a deep, a deeper purple. Again, a five-star review. Thank you. Jaime Pab. It says yeah. these two guys are not held to the conventional notions of the band, and that's a very good thing. If you're not afraid to look outside the more conventional realms of Machine Head and Made in Japan, this podcast gives another listen. Uh, gives another listen to some underrated periods of purpledom. So, thank you. That's oh. what that's what oh. we shoot for. <laughs> Don't need a lot of um, uh, additional talk about Machine Head. As much fun yeah. as it was doing that episode, it was like this this well worn territory. Well, I mean, it's it was kind of the obligatory we have to do it episode, but it was still great to dig into it. But sure. um, even from a couple of reviews and the the most ra- uh, not ratings views that I've seen so quickly on a YouTube video, it seems that there are more people than I thought that were really excited for us to get into Mark Three, which is very mm-hmm. cool because. Nice to know we're not alone in loving that version of the band. And Tommy Bolin, our Tommy Bolin episode became very quickly one of our top episodes. Um, you know, we even though we, we don't have a ton of episodes, we're only on episode 22. We That one got into the top episodes right away, despite the fact that these other episodes have been around for months and months with the opportunity for people to listen to them much more. So it shows you that there's a lot of... A desire out there to learn about Tommy Bolin or to, or to just at least, at least to listen about him and celebrate him. Uh, next up, L Deep Boogie, five stars, writes, finally a podcast on Deep Purple. I've been waiting for a podcast on this band forever. Great information by two old friends discussing classic albums by the band and discovering new material. If you have any interest in DP, you need to check this out. Awesome. So thank you very much. And finally, oh, that's a, that's another... Another five-star review from Black Sabbath, but it looks like uh, there's no A. It looks like the C is the cent sign and the S is a dollar sign, and there's no A. Actually, there's no vowels at all. Black Sabbath with the like two weird characters. Uh, and he, the title is, They Said Something Very Important. This became my favorite podcast when they called attention to the fact that DP's concerto was composed by Jay Lord. And... 
as an organic interlocking of rock band and orchestra, whereas S&M is Metallica playing greatest hits with the strings added. I can't believe it took 20 years for someone to call attention to this publicly. <laughs> so. Yeah. So pretty good. Thank you. I'm, well, hey, we were all thinking it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I, I think I think you're the one that made that observation, and it was a very good point. And, and again, we weren't knocking Metallica's S and M, but it was just kind of mentioning like how unique that particular thing was. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think like I, I remember that my point at the time was not to get into it or repeat it again. Was is that everybody looked at bands, newer bands, starting with Metallica's S&M, doing stuff with an orchestra, um, such a novel and cool thing, which is, you know, totally fine, except that nobody called attention to the fact that publicly in any publications or uh, uh, magazines, reviews or anything, that Deep Purple did it first back in 68 or 69. And I was like, it infuriated me because it's like, Come on, man, give credit where it's due. And the fact that that was like a unique piece of music, not them just adding violins to smoke on the water or whatever. Dun, or, dun, or hush dun, or something. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Um, also, we have this one comes from YouTube. Wow. This is Lo Axelson. And she writes, and this is a great story. My feeling is that many older men are just as bad as teenagers. And this comes after us kind of knocking teenagers in one of our episodes. Uh, fun in quotes story related to your podcast i was in a record store looking at a copy of shades of deep purple when the owner comes up to me and goes ah deep purple with their original singer he's much better than the other one i'm assuming he meant gillen rip coverdale etc anyway i got annoyed by his disdainful tone and answered that rod evans is great but that i much prefer him in captain beyond by the bewildered look on his face and lack of response i conclude he didn't know of them i sealed my victory in this pretentious record store pissing contest by buying fireball i am 30 something woman by the way i felt he didn't have to know i had actually only just learned about captain beyond through your podcast and found a record by them at my dad's and think it's fantastic so And I was very excited that we could help somebody one up an annoying, pretentious record store person because that's horrible. And, you know, it's usually a very condescending, especially if you're a woman and there's some condescending man goes, oh, hello, little lady. Can I help you with these records? Because you clearly could not possibly know about Deep Purple. And then she, boom, hit him up with the with the with the Deep Purple knowledge. So, yeah, way to go. Awesome. Good good job. Low. Low. I'm. Hopefully pronouncing your name correctly. Um, awesome. Thank you for the comments. That's not the first comment we've read by her. Well, that's like awesome that somebody actually stood up for that kind of thing because that's what I can't stand if I go into a record store, a music store, like instruments or, or something, anything. is just like people with that kind of attitude. Yeah. Um, I mean, even like, um, I think it was like a few months ago, record store day. Mm-hmm. Um, which you've you've heard about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just recently did, and so I thought, oh, this is cool because out here there's like maybe three or four places in Providence, and really only one of them I thought was um, was cool for the type of music that I listen to. But you just walk in there, and there are a ton of people in there looking at vinyl and stuff, which I thought was really cool and encouraging. Um, but yeah, some of the 
some of the attitudes of the owners was kind of felt like kind of snobby elitist mm-hmm. type of thing, which is kind of ridiculous. Like you pick up an album and you're wondering like, Oh, are they judging me? Because it looks like they, they like, uh, you know, grind core more than, you know, <laughs> I don't know something, you know what I mean? It's just like, it shouldn't be like that. Everybody should just kind of think that it's cool that everybody likes everything. Like if I find out that one of the younger kids at work likes the same stuff that I do, I don't I'm not condescending to it. I'm just like, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's great. I mean, we're, we're, uh, you know, then there've been so many really cool people who have followed us and communicated with us when they are of the generation where they went to go see deep purple in the original form and in the, in the sixties and seventies. And they are really nurturing and kind and got a lot of great feedback for us rather than just being like, Oh, you youngsters couldn't possibly know. Um, and then, you know, there's a whole generation of people young enough to be our kids that are following Deep Purple and following the show. So it's cool that you've got kind of three generations here all interested in the band and, and interacting in a good way. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, this was posted on Twitter, which I thought was cool. And it's just I was like, what is this? Richie Blackmore, like repairing a TV? What's going on? And <laughs> I thought like, um it, it looks like a TV to me, but uh, how do I, it, it would make a lot more sense that it was like an amp or something. And uh, I don't know if that's the screwdriver he used to play the guitar solo on Holy Man. <laughs> um, he, he seems to have a machine head style hair in this photo. So it's probably of that era, like maybe late, late 71 and early 72, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um and then, of course, Jorg Planer comes in with, boom, the, uh, a, a magazine article that appeared where it shows that he is indeed fixing a TV. And a lot of people were talking about how he uh, was an electronics engineer, worked at the airport and stuff like that, like in his, in his early days. So he's very much in tune with like working on electronics and stuff. So interesting, cool. Richie facts. And then Jim Massa writes on YouTube, uh, if you look at the cover of Made in Japan, look on the left side of the Hammond. Oh, and, and I should mention, this is probably in reference to us kind of contemplating what gear John Lord was using. So he says, if you look at the cover of Made in Japan, look on the left-hand side of the Hammond, John's left. That is a ring modulator phaser unit. It is that which created all those effects for lazy space trucking. He did not add a synth, the ARP Odyssey, until 1973 shows for Who Do We Think We Are. By the way, space trucking did replace ring that neck mandrake root as the extended uh, closer or the extended jam. So interesting notes from Jim Massa. He also tells a story on, and I couldn't find it. It was on one of the, I I just couldn't remember if it was Instagram, if it was Twitter or or YouTube, but he tells a story of going to see Rainbow and getting to hang out with Richie Blackmore and have a couple of drinks with him. So pretty cool story. Wow, that's neat. Yep. Really cool stuff. And uh, finally, on Twitter, this this guy posted this thing. And normally, I don't really go for these sorts of things, but it was just like kind of a game, like to post an album title and then post the opposite. So he starts off with Pink Floyd, The Wall, and then posts Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. Then he posts uh, Kevin Rudolph, Don't Give Up, and then he posts the give the Postal Service, Give Up. <laughs> And for some reason, I amused me, and I was looking through them. Garth Brooks, No Fences, and then the motion picture soundtrack for Fences. (laughs) Uh, Better Than Ezra and Ezra. 
So <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. So I decided to jump in on the thread and post a bunch of my own. But of course, sticking with only Deep Purple. So I've got Fireball here. And I followed it up with Defroster's album, Snowball. Or <laughs> perhaps Snowball's album, Defroster. I don't really know. I've never heard of it. Um, then I've got Shades of Deep Purple. So I found Cold Plays Yellow. Opposite of Purple. Okay. Right there. Deep Purple's Machine Head. Billy Joel, The Bridge. I'm lost. I'm lost. <laughs> well, Machine Head's on one side of the guitar, and the and the you know the the bridge is way down uh, at the. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I thought that one would be a thinker. Sophisticated humor. <laughs> Very sophisticated. Yeah. Well, for me, sorry. <laughs> Deep Purple's Burn, and then the album The Firemen. <laughs> Deep Purple Stormbringer. George Strait Blue Clear Sky. Aha. And then Come Taste the Band. And the album, Do Not Eat. I was hoping there was... I was I like, like I was like, wouldn't it be great if there was an album called Don't Taste the Bands? <laughs> but, I was hoping for that one. I was hoping you found one that's just like, Don't Taste the Band. <laughs> I thought about maybe Photoshopping one, but um, anyway. Just a little fun on Twitter. Um and there, well, there if, I, if I ever record any more music, that'll be my first, that'll be my comeback album. <laughs> don't, don't taste the band. Don't taste the band. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So today we are beginning a, a new era for the show and we are going to start. Uh, we're going to begin catching up with some of our old friends that we haven't seen in a number of episodes and in quite some time. And we started off with our first episode, reaching out to our old friend, Nikki. Nick Simper and seeing what the heck has Nick Simper been up to since leaving Deep Purple. Well, he his first release after leaving Deep Purple was the album War Horse by the band War Horse, self-titled album. But that wasn't the first thing that he did. He did do this thing with Marsha Hunt. So Marsha Hunt, do you know who Marsha Hunt is? No. She was Mick Jagger's girlfriend and uh allegedly the person that the song Brown Sugar was written about. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was quite a good singer. And she put together this band. Um, the uh, She was the singer and the band was called White Trash, which is interesting because there'd be a band in the 90s called White Trash, um, which, was a, which was a little different. But Nick Simper was recruited to play bass. And uh, they, did, uh, they did some stuff. And this is a, uh, a video of them at the Blit, the Bilzen Festival, and she's uh, doing the song My World is Empty Without You, and you'll see Nikki here in this video. I'll have to skip ahead through this interview a little bit. So what year is this? 69. This would have been right after he left Deep Purple. So he was just recruited as being like part of her backing band? Yep. And hear him laying down a really good bass groove there. There he is. See him? Oh, there he is. I need to love my dear. I'm just so fine. 
Once again, we hear Nick Simper laying down a really nice bass groove. Despite being kind of dismissed by Richie as not being the right bass player or whatever. Yeah, I think that's a bunch of horse poop. Yeah, for, for sure. He's a good, I think he was a good bass player. Yeah. So she's got a great voice. Kind of a cool band. They were not together for very long. They kind of broke up shortly after this because she became pregnant with Mick Jagger's baby and uh, stopped playing and they, they just kind of broke up. But see Nikki in the background there behind behind the percussionist. Doing a very 60s dance. <laughs> So anyway, they did a few gigs and Nick Simper, I guess, felt that the band was not great. So he was given the task of finding replacements for the band. He got uh, Ged Peck, who he had toured with with John Lord and the Flowerpot Men. So he's going back to he's dipping into the Flowerpot Men uh, well for 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 uh, musicians. He also got Roger Pinner, who is also known as Roger Truth. I hadn't heard of either of them on drums, who he'd worked with in the Pirates. And soon after that, he was re- he was replaced with Mac Poole. So during this time, Nick Simper was also playing in the James Royal set and then putting together this Warhorse project. And uh, Warhorse ends up being this backing band he formed for Marsha Hunt. She leaves uh, to have the baby, and they replace her almost. Well, not really replace her because she just wasn't coming back. So they the, the band found Ashley Hunt to put on vocals. And he had formally auditioned for Deep Purple in 1968, apparently. And uh, also Rick Wakeman on keyboards was with them for a very short time because he'd played with uh, the James Royal set. And for a while, I thought Wakeman was actually on this album, but he's not. He he was only with them for a very brief time, and then he left and uh, did not end up playing on this album. That would have been quite something if he had. He was replaced with Frank Wilson, who actually does a really good job on this album. So he's he's quite a quite a great keyboardist himself. Um, yeah. So they just kind of continued on as Warhorse after this after Marsha Hunt left. And they got a, a record contract with the, the new label Vertigo and recorded the Warhorse album. They made their live debut opening for Mott the Hoople in uh, Hemel Hempstead. And the Warhorse album was released in November of 1970. So uh, not... I'm trying to think of what uh, month Speed King... Or Speed King... What month In Rock came out. But it would have been not too far off of that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the interesting thing to think about it in this context is, um, yeah, I'm sorry. In rock came out in June. So this came out a few months later. So it's interesting to think of this kind of being worked on at the same time as in rock coming out around, around the same time as in rock and kind of what was going on at the time. Uh, their manager was Ron Heyer, who was part of HEC enterprises, who, who had helped finance that original version of deep purple of uh, roundabout. Um, and he broke off, I guess, from from them and from, from Edwards and Coletta and uh, managed Warhorse. And then so that's what you got. You got Ashley Holt on vocals, Ged Peck on guitar, 
um, Mac Poole on drums, Nick Simper on bass, and Frank Wilson on keyboards. That's the lineup. All right, ready to get into some of these tracks? Okay. All right, first up, we got the opening track, Vulture Blood. Oh, actually, you know what? Before that, we just do got to quickly talk about, because there's not much to talk about, the uh, the album cover. Ah, yeah. So it's very, like, literal, War Horse. It's like a war horse. It's, it's It looks like what a First World War soldier sitting on the ground in his horse, presumably a war horse, just <laughs> kind of standing by him. And it's an incredibly bad quality um, photo. And I don't think it's the quality of this image. I've seen uh, numerous images of this. It just seems like it's a very bad, grainy photo. And I don't know, It's very the colors are very... Ugh. washed out very yeah. washed out yeah uh, not yeah. my favorite album cover of all time nope the uh if you open it up the this is like another picture of it which again looks kind of very washed out but if you open up the album the back cover kind of has some looks like caches of ammunition uh uh it looks like a a soldier sitting down loading a rifle completely surrounded by barbed wire like he's in a playpen or something uh, made out of barbed wire and then there's like another soldier like off in the background but kind of not the greatest quality photos uh i don't i do not have a copy of inside the gatefold if there was anything going on there i'm sure we'll have some in- information from our listeners but again not the most inspired album cover not as iconic as some of the other album covers we've discovered bef- we've discussed before i mean it looks almost like maybe it could be uh, deliberate that it was it could be you know, maybe they tried to make it look aged or old uh, but the there's really no color or panache if you will <laughs> to that, to that album cover. not a lot of panache at all yeah it's yeah it just and it's just the fact that it's so literal it's like yeah you know, I, I just always imagine like ah they all the band's called warhorse what do we call the album warhorse what do we put on the cover a war horse. Okay, like you know, it's I mean, to get this thing out to the stores. <laughs> exactly. Know. What are you What are you wasting my time with these questions for? Just put a friggin' war horse on there and get this thing out. <laughs> we gotta sell some covers. Yeah, um, I mean, that's one of the things that will differentiate a, a great album from not a great album. Is right. I, I think putting more time into that. I feel like probably not a lot of time was put into this, which is it's fine, you know. Yeah, I mean, this is coming from the you know the the, the whatever million dollar album cover for Shades of Deep Purple, but at least it was eye catching. You know, you had kind of like dark silhouettes against like a a deep purple background. It, it it caught your eye. This I could just see kind of fading into the to the background. Yeah, you're just flipping through albums at the store, and you're like, next. But it if you look, stick if you look at this and in rock, which is like a colorful, interesting album cover. It's, you know, where, where, where are you going to spend more time looking at and more likely to buy? Um, anyway, yeah, I don't really dig album covers like this. There were a bunch of them around oh, the early 70s. Yeah. I can't think of anything offhand, but I know that just there were a lot of 70s album covers that were just really not very colorful or inspired or they just all kind of blend together. So it's really nice to have some bands like our beloved Deep Purple proper. 
that did some great album covers. Yeah, th- this color scheme is very common. You could see like a um, a singer on this, like a female singer with blonde hair and like flowers in her hair and like a, one of those long, long flowing dresses, like co- her hair caught by the sunlight and like, but with this same terrible color scheme, you know, there's like a hundred album covers like that. You're just walking yeah. through a, through tall grass or whatever with this flower band around her head and just being like, you know, Maggie Sullivan, you know, my joy songs or something, some dumb album. They, and they're, they're so generic and, and kind of boring and yeah. they, they don't stand out. And then the companion to that album cover, that same woman with her old man standing next to her, and he looks like he hasn't taken a shower in a week, and he's got this <laughs> ass beard and white guy afro, and you know he's wearing his like Nehru jacket and everything, and he's looking off to the side, and she just looks like to the other side, bored as shit. <laughs> a shirt that could use to be buttoned up a few more buttons. Yeah, yeah, you're seeing his little. His little chest hair is peeking out. And he spent hours (laughs) meticulously combing up so that they'd be visible in the photo. (laughs) But yeah, so anyway, that's that's what we're dealing with here, but with a horse instead. (laughs) Maybe they should have brought in brought in a a, a, some sort of uh, I don't know something else. Bring in the bring in the woman from the Maggie. Bring in Maggie O'Sullivan. Is that All a right, person. Nah, I just, nah. well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody really named that, but I I don't know that she's a she's a singer. I just kind of first name that came to my head. <laughs> All right, now for real, we're gonna kick it in with um, Vulture Blood. Vulture Blood, a very doom doomy sounding song. Hmm. And I the interesting thing about this, I kind of like the way it starts off, similar to Speed King, with this kind of like little organ intro and then kicks in with something a little heavier i can't hear anything did you put it on it's very light hear it now no really hear it now (laughs) no (laughs) what's going on Please stand by, folks. Should be there. I can't hear anything. There we go. I hear. Oh, okay. It. Yeah, this is very faint. I think. It wasn't maybe compressed the same way in rock was. So here they go, kind of kicking it in a little bit more. Sorry, I can't. I I can't stand it already. <laughs> I like the groove. I like the riff of it. Yeah, it's a cool riff. But you know what I don't like? I don't think it's the singer isn't bad. It's, it's the effect. The effect that they put on his voice is so bad. Like I don't like it at all. Because okay, he's a really good singer. But the, yeah, that slapback reverb is just—it's too much. They need to tone it oh, down yeah. a lot. Yeah, just it basically ruins the whole song for me. Yeah, I think next year they need to do a 50th anniversary remix of this and take that <laughs> slap back off. Although it's probably recorded live to tape, they probably can't. Yep. Got some pretty good 
pipes on him, some nice screaming. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like he's kind of like in between Rod Evans and Ian Gillen. Yep. Like, N- Nikki was probably like, let me find somebody that can do both. Yeah. Although he's a little more raw than like Rod was in uh, Versus. Yeah. No, well, like the, more energy like the screen, than Rod. Though. Yeah. And the more times I listen to this song, the more I kind of I, I like the groove of it. I do like the groove. I just think the vocals were done wrong. They were produced badly. Yep. It's kind of like the guitar work from Richie on Talison. You know, it's like it's good. It's good guitar playing, just EQ'd all wrong, and you know some of the bends are a little off, but it's. Mostly just the the way it was produced. I like this part too. A little bit of a proggy. They were considered prog rock at the time. There's a bit of a prog feel feel to it. This is one little thing I could have seen like early purple doing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Nikki doing some good bass work there. Boom, boom, I was going to say, you hear him, like, you know, grooving in the background. It's like a nice walking line he does there. This part reminds me of a little Jethro Tull, almost. This sounds like a lot very early Richie, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if Nick put this band together, I think he was very deliberate in trying to get some aspects to sound like his former band. Yeah, and I think this this guitar player sounds very early Richie-ish. And the keyboard player is no slouch. I mean, he does a really great job. I mean, he's definitely no John Lord, but no. But it does suffer a little bit from these songs being too long. And I like how it kicks back in there. Yeah, I mean, the rest of the production, I don't mind as much because it's very, like, dry, very yes. bare bones. Just very, like, basic, like, early 70s production. Yeah, the vocals are really the only thing they botch, I think. I think everything else sounds really good. And I think that that intro riff is really good, and they kick in with the vocals immediately. I wish they'd kind of let you live with that riff a little more. Because it's a really good groove. And when he holds that scream, it's really good, but it's when when he's delivering quicker, more rapid fire, more staccato vocals, that that slapback is just constantly hitting you and it's just annoying. Yeah, that's what makes me not want to hear this song. <laughs> well, I've only got a few seconds left so we can we can struggle it out to the bitter end. <laughs> well, the rest of the songs, whether we do that or not, will remain to be seen. ideas 
good execution, not so great production on the vocals. Yeah, I would say the vocals are the most annoying part of this whole song. I would listen to it. I'd listen to it if the vocals were recorded differently or if they took that like awful reverb or delay or whatever was uh, off of that. I think it's just a, like a slapback reverb. It's just... Yeah. Ugh. It's Yeah, it's and, too extreme. And it's very high pitch too. It's very um, uh, like high end. Yeah, there's like too you much know, it, treble like, in it. Yeah, yeah, very piercing. Uh, but I do like the I do like the screams though. I mean, he definitely like reached that that realm. Like he hit some notes that Ian Gillen hit. So, mm-hmm. like you said, no no slouch. But uh, I just think that, yeah, um, yeah, just not not great production all around. So I'm usually not as like the production on songs doesn't usually bother me as much as it does some other people. Like everyone talks about how bad like the Born Again album is to the production and yeah. I don't disagree, but I, I, and you know, like another album is like Metallica and justice for all, though. I think everyone gives that album a pass and both of those albums. I, I if, if I like the songs and I like the songwriting and I like the performances, I can look past a lot of, a lot of ills that are caused by the production. Uh, I mean, I guess it really depends. Um, I don't know but, that I like this song enough to like look past it, yeah. <laughs> but but, le- I, but like let's let's just say that like you hear, um, you hear a song from an album live mm-hmm. performed by a band um, where the original production uh, was not really up to snuff, and a lot of times you'll hear it too with bands these days who maybe let's just say like an '80s album where like uh, that that it had that typical '80s production that maybe didn't do it any justice. Yep. And a lot of times you can overlook some really actually great songs. Oh yeah. Uh, by, uh, by hearing it with like, just really like, frankly, just shitty production. Um, one of the best examples um, I could think of is like, and not probably bad production, but like on the, on the kiss cruises, they had had like um, Bruce Kulick and, and brothers, Bruce and Bob Kulick mm-hmm. together doing like uh, with a kind of an all-star band um, performing, kiss deep cuts uh, mm-hmm. from his era of the band. And some of those albums were not produced very well, or some were really eighties based or eighties produced and with a really solid, good live band playing them with, um, you know, and with today's technology and everything and good musicianship and everything, sometimes you're just like, Whoa, you know, these songs kind of transcend the era that they came from. Like they're really good. So say you took a really good band or whatever and you did that song that we just heard over again, you might be like, wow, that's actually really good. Like, who knows? That could have been like an awesome song that they practiced in the studio or whatever. And then it just came out like that. And then you just have another forgettable seventies thing on a record that nobody pays attention to, you know? Yeah. I, I wrote off a lot of like hair metal and stuff from the eighties. Cause I just can't stand that production. I still don't really like it. But I've I've found like these days I can listen to those songs and listen to them for the songwriting. And in fact, I was listening to like Cherry Pie the other day for oh. some reason. And I was <laughs> and Av is super produced and you know. But I but just listening to it as as a song, I'm like, you know what? There's some good stuff in here. You know, like I think it's and like same thing with like the White Snake album. I was never a huge fan of White Snake until. I got into Coverdale through Deep Purple and, and listened to his earlier stuff and listening to, 
hearing go again and listening to the original version, you're like, oh my God, what it's, this is a different song. And listening to him do like, this is love on Starkers in Tokyo. And it's like, you're hearing the song, you're not hearing crazy eighties production and these super reverb drums and cheesy keyboard sounds. You're hearing the song for what it is. And like, and listening to that for the first time, like, wow, this is like a really well-written song and really good song. And there's a lot of really good songs there that that get that you that I at least I look over because of the production. Well, I would think that one last or my last thought on that too is, is um, and I just just thought of it is um, I was I was out the other night and there was a a house band playing in a bar and um, they were doing of course they were doing all covers and everything and everybody was drinking whatever. But they were doing like rocked up versions of like they did um, I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. Oh, really? But I mean, it was and everybody knows what it sounded like on the radio and stuff like that. But it's like when you get a kind of a rock band to do it, you're just hearing it for the you're not hearing the Backstreet Boys. You're hearing like whatever, like 10 songwriters or producers wrote that song. Yeah, right. Right. So you take a different artist or whatever and they play it. And like if you just take the whole like boy band pop thing out of it. You're um you're just like wow that's actually like it's a pretty rocking song or that's something I could like listen to or get down to or um whatever and um I I thought the same thing when there was like um I think there was this guy on YouTube I can't remember his name right now but I think he's like does like five five second songs or something like that mm-hmm. and he's like um um. Uh, I apologize. I don't know his name now, but he did like, you know, sometimes he'll do things like in the style of an artist. So he was doing Mm -hmm. like all these songs in the style of Ozzy. (laughs) And so he was singing like Ozzy and the guy playing the guitar, um, which is funny because his name was (laughs) E-Rock, at least least on the video. But his tone was like, his tone and sound was like exactly like Randy's on the first album. Yeah. Which was like wild. But he basically did like, all these songs, like pop songs. I think he did like a, like a Harry Styles song. He did like, um, like a sting, like, um, you know what I mean? Like just pop songs. I think I've seen this guy uh, before and he like, he'll change it up. Like every five seconds, he'll morph into a different style. Yeah, so he does like David Bowie, and then he'll he'll change into like yeah. I've I've yeah. seen I saw one of his video. I if it's the same guy I'm thinking of, and he's really a very talented guy and really yeah. captures the essence of a lot of those singers in the production. But even so it's like just hearing, hearing some of that. Like, I think there was like a, maybe like a, uh, I think it was a Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears song or something like that. And if you think about it, it's like, wow. Like if, if like that songwriter took that song to Ozzy back in the day or something yeah. like that could have totally been an Ozzy song, but you associate it with the, you know, the pop artist or whoever that did it. But I guess basically in the end is, is just like, it is about the, the song and the songwriting and everything. And it's like, um, not necessarily like who, who made it popular or how it was produced. I mean, of course that's how it gets famous, but I mean, there's just like, it's true. There are a lot of great songs out there and a lot of them can get overlooked by the artist, you know, who does them, the production on them, like the era that they were done in that type of thing. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of our long <laughs> tangent on that. I think we I talked guess. about too on one of our past episodes about how David Coverdale wrote "Is This Love" for Tina Turner, and for some yes. reason or, or another, she didn't record it, so he recorded it, 
And when you hear that, you're just like, oh, of course. Like, you, you can totally envision what that would have sounded like with Tina Turner sounding it. And a lot of the production probably would have sounded pretty similar. But uh, it is kind of about how you manage the production of it, not necessarily who is doing it. So anyway, Vulture exactly. Blood, what are you giving that for a score? Oh, that's right. We're, are we oh, are we scoring these? I mean, we should, right? Oh, well, I I thought maybe we were done with that. <laughs> this, 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 do you, this goes to show you how much I'm paying attention. All right, time for our podcast meeting. Do you think we should be done with that? <laughs> I think we should um, rank everything. It would be good to have a... All right, yeah. If we're if we're if we're ranking our non deep purple stuff here, then um, yeah. All right, like I don't know, two and a half. I'm gonna give it a three because I do like that that groove quite a bit. Oh. Okay. Oh, sorry. I, I put I put my own score in. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you saw me be like visually scared. Yeah, we're, co- oh. we're kind of combating each other here. All right. Okay. Next up, uh, track two on this album is a song called "No Chance." Mm, probably. <laughs> kidding, kidding, everybody. A weird, like, little military march sort of thing going on. <laughs> Look on your face. <laughs> this sounds like a bunch of kids that started a band and they're, like, warming up. And it sounds like what the band room used to sound like before we got started. <laughs> High school. Just an intro to see where it's going here. Some very deep purple keyboard in the background. Yeah. Very John Lordish. A little classical bent to it. Yeah, I think. This is one of those examples of a song that goes on too long because this. I think we got the idea with this intro. Very Richie, sort of. That, those bends, too, are very. Here is singing a lot better on this song without that crazy effect on it. I'm trying to listen to this in the context of 1970. I think, you know, there was a lot of like. I think if we'd grown up with this album and listened to this album as teenagers and had more of a history with it, we might view it a little bit differently, but we're kind of. We haven't heard this up until very recently. This this vocal kind of reminds me of like a Pink Floyd song almost like like echoes or something just yeah, I feel like he's a pretty typical what an early 70s vocalist is like really no no uh, no flash no frills just kind of a just a just a guy who sings Yeah I don't think he's that good. I mean, he sounds kind of just like 
Sounds kind of weak. Like, there's, there's a little something missing there. Like, you know, now there's, like, no effects on his vocals, so it's like... It sounds under-rehearsed. Which maybe it was. But it's also, this song doesn't really go anywhere. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just like, he's just singing the verses and he just keeps like droning on and on and on and on. There's no really break except for this. So the verse is really drone. I think there's a nugget of the song in here that they could have expanded into something a little bigger. And then this, I guess, is like a chorus, maybe? Very, very angsty. Actually, this part reminds me of um, Ted Neely, who was the yep. movie Jesus and Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, it's of a... I actually like this guy uh, when he kind of gets into that higher register and kind of belts it out a little bit. I like the backing vocals here in this little breakdown. Sounds like it's probably some female backing vocals there. Who they are? I don't know. They never credited, really gave any credit to backing vocals back then. Could have been him. Could have been. Nice little jam at the end to close it out. I think this is the song that kind of made me take notice of this keyboard player. I think he does a really good job on this album. Uh, doing a little bit of the Deep Purple thing. Keyboard solo, then guitar solo. Yep. That was the formula. Although like knowing... The effect on the guitar knowing how quickly they belted out albums back then and they could have very easily have heard in rock and I think closing to the song is good I, I think I see what they were going for like having the slow build up and everything I just don't think the execution was was quite there nah some of the yeah, some of the things I noticed, like you said, were the it was just kind of actually I don't know if, I don't know if you said it or if I said it. It's kind of it, it was going nowhere. Yeah, like the verses were kind of just droning on. Yeah. and that's why it kind of reminded me of Echoes by Pink Floyd, 
but you know, that song is 20 minutes long <laughs> and seems like shorter somehow. Like it, it, it has, it has that same very similar melody even to that, yeah. but it's, it's brief and there's these big, long breaks of instrumental and kind of there's a lot of interesting things going on there and that's i think where they missed the boat on this song well i feel like it's not it wasn't uh maybe it was rushed because i i feel like i know what they were going for like the slow build and like the kind of the i I don't even know what the, the lyrics are about but it sounded like it was the the kind of like emotional building song that's supposed to have meaning to it type of thing. Yep. And it just really missed the mark. The solos were really kind of short. You know, I think they, it sounds almost like it was a rehearsal. Are you looking up the lyrics? Yeah, I'm looking them up. It seems to be like he was with a woman. She probably left him. And now he's like, uh, crying about it. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, I kind of just feel you'll, you know, you'll be sorry about how, you know, you, you'll be sorry that you left me and not in a threatening yeah. way, but just in kind of like, I'm awesome. And you're, you really missed out on this great guy. <laughs> you know, well, my life will she was but, probably like, she was probably like, you're singing sucks. So I'm not missing out on anything. <laughs> this, I mean, I don't know if it's like under rehearsed or the production again or whatever, but it's like, at least during the verses, the, the droning vocals and everything, he's not really a, like a really I don't think he's really a great or strong singer. He's pretty. Um, I think he's pretty good. I don't think you're giving I mean, him enough credit, but well, not, but I, not in this song. In this song, I think he's. Frankly, I think it's terrible. Actually, I mean, you'd have to hear him singing a, a singing a, another song, not not just like listening. So far, we've heard a song that was kind of fell flat, and another song that had poor production. The other thing too was, is that I noticed was the, well, I mean, I know that you're, (laughs) I know I'm being really harsh, but I mean, we're also judging this by, I mean, I'm judging it against Deep Purple standards too, but I mean, there are other bands of the time that it had keyboards in it that I like, um, or um, Oregon, like Grand Funk Railroad on their later albums. Yeah. Um, Even on this couple of their earlier albums. Uh, we're trying to go for the same thing. So it's not just Deep Purple, but some like early bands that kind of were going for the same formula, I think. And it's like, I think the the keyboard solo was just kind of meandering. It wasn't really that, I mean, I wasn't say it was bad, but I mean, it wasn't like exceptional. Like, wow, I'm glad they got this guy yeah. um, type of thing. And then the the production on the drums, it's, it was really weird because it sounds like somebody, they were really close mic'd or something like that yeah, because it's, not, be. that it's a, not that it's a bad thing, but it was like, I don't know, just the, now I'm hearing on this song anyway, the production sounded like Uber dry, just yeah. very, and I mean, dry meaning plain. Like it's just, it sounds like a very plain album. There's no excitement. Yeah. Um, so far. I mean, in this song, I mean, that could be, I mean, it sounds like they were experimenting with some other effects. So maybe like from the first song and everything. So maybe the next one will be better. I don't know. All right. We'll see. What are you ranking this song? Uh, two. All right. I, I give it two and a half pilgrim hats. Cause I, I see, I see where they're going with it. I think they could have done something to this to turn it into something more interesting, but it, again, they're kind of stuck in this rut that a lot of, uh, bands were like that even i complained about deep purple with which was like does this song really need to be eight minutes long 
you know, even yeah. even Deep Purple, who are throwing all these great things at you, these vocal things and awesome solos trading back and forth. And even at a certain point, you're like, okay, we get it. <laughs> Let's. And, and I yeah. love that sort of stuff live, but on an album, you just sometimes need to kind of move on. And here yeah, again, we've got two that. two six plus minute songs, which honestly, that first, you know, I, this is, I think, was something which Black Sabbath excelled at. Like they'll come in with an awesome riff, hit you with the lyrics in and out, a like, quick, punchy song and, and even have probably a few more parts than these songs do in half the time. And they're trying to go for something like that and it's not quite working. So, but I mean, that's also that's I think what some of the music at the time was, was like, um, you know, Nikki was playing with the, you know, that whole prog rock type of thing that Deep Purple was doing very early version of. And I mean, you remember the first three albums, they had these just tremendously like unnecessarily long instrumental parts and everything. So he might have been still trying to go for that rather than the, the quick in and out type right. of things. Like, and did I that mean, need that a, like, did that need a 90 second drum intro where they're just going, bah, 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 you know, just sounds like somebody's, you know, like you said, rehearsing at a, in a high school band. Like yeah. again, I, I'm, I'm no, I'm no, I'm a big fan of some of those like lead up things and instrumental stuff, but it's gotta be interesting. It's gotta be not just flubbing well, around. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to give, I mean, really it's, it's like what, 49 years too late to the party to like be like, well, if they only did this, I'll give them points because for the effort, it's like, no, nah, it's too late. You also um, got to think in, in 1970, what the, I mean, there wasn't as we've had a lot of time to develop th- this style of music. And this was kind of new back then. So they were, they were just forging ahead in a direction and didn't really know where it was going. So, yeah. All right, next up, we have a song called Burning. Hmm. Do you have the drums? They kind of sound like they click almost. Or like smack or just, I don't know, they have kind of a weird sound to them. I think you're right. I think they're very close mic'd. You don't have a lot of. You don't hear a lot of the. They like ambiance of the room. Yeah. Oh geez, that was very deep purple. Yeah. But here we have a six-minute song, so that's a a cool intro, you know. And now like a oh. nice guitar groove. Oh. Bringing in the cowbell. Totally. You'll hear another familiar track later in this album if you hadn't got to it yet. (laughs) No, I mean, was this like, um, when I hear stuff like this, I'm wondering, is this like Nick Simper, like intentionally trying to like rip off earlier songs he did with Deep Purple, or was that just his writing style and it was just coming through so you could hear like, oh, this kind of style was his contribution to purple. I think it's a little both. Some of it's, I think, probably thumbing his nose at the band. I got another weird effect on the vocals. Yeah. This one's not as extreme as the first one, though. 
No, but it's like the, the vocals, I think, are mixed a little too low. Because you can't hear, you can't understand anything the dude is saying. Here, Nikki. He's really grooving it. I like that. Yeah, I think his bass playing is great on this album. Again, bringing up the theory we have that Richie was full of crap when he said, oh, his bass playing is not up to snuff. It's just like they didn't like the guy or something. There's some. Is he still going on about that woman? <laughs> it sounds like he's like, I'll show you. <laughs> That's an area where the effect is more interesting. I think there's a lot more interesting going on. This it's another six plus minute song, but there's interesting parts to it. Cool groove with the guitar when it comes in. That intro was very interesting, unlike the previous intro, which was weird. organ so I like the organ player I, I like him a lot you can hear him doing a lot of like the John Lord type of stuff but he ain't no John Lord well no but that's not fair to judge anybody by that standard <laughs> no but I mean it's like it's pretty decent by 70 organ board playing any keyboard playing I couldn't play it but I mean I don't have to I can just sit here and judge them because I'm on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> very true oh here we go Wow. This sounds like very first Deep Purple the album solo. Well, this guy, Ged Peck, had played with um, Screaming Lord Such as well. I don't know if he played with Richie, but he might have had some similar influences as Richie. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the style is very much the same. Like, I'm not saying Blackmore was an influence on him, but maybe, like you said, they came from the same school of influences. Sure, they might have been influenced by the same person. Or, or set of people, I should say. Still don't understand Screaming Lord Such. It's just weird. Oh, 
Listen to Nikki. Nikki had some great stuff going on there. <laughs> That's like his thing. Yeah. I mean, I dig it. I like it. I actually like, like now that like we're so, we're probably like the, the biggest authorities on Nick Simper's bass playing. But it's like, but I mean, I could tell, you could tell like some of the stuff that he did on the first three Purple albums. You can hear him doing it here and he's just like kind of, he's really laying down that groove. I, I like what he's doing. Yeah, me too. I like uh you can't accuse me of not liking his bass playing. Can't accuse you of not being a Nicky fan. Yeah. All right, what do you think about burning? Oh boy, I'm I might have to I'm gonna have to flame this one and uh why I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give it a two and a half. Really? A two and a half? Yeah, I'm gonna have to knock off some points for some like cruddy production and the, I'm really just not digging the vocals either. Like, and I don't really think it's the effects. Like, I just think he's kind of weak. Yeah. Well, I'm giving it a three. I, I, I think there's, I think that was the strongest composition we've heard so far on, on the album. I don't know. I just feel like, um, and I mean, I want to be clear too, is, is that I'm not like, I'm saying like, Oh, some deep purple stuff is happening here. He's no John Lord or whatever, but it's just like, I am, listening to it in the context of other early seventies bands that I have heard before do stuff like this way better. Um, just my opinion. Well, right. I mean, we, we've, we're familiar with bands releasing albums at the time, like deep purple, Led Zeppelin, black Sabbath, Jethro Tull, but every, like everyone's lesser, heard of those bands. Nobody's heard of Warhorse. It's a very, very no, niche. But even lesser known bands that didn't have people like backing them or, uh, uh, like even though Deep Purple was mismanaged as we well know in the early days so they weren't managed the best it's just like there was still something put behind them and they were gaining traction or whatever but I mean I've got plenty of albums CDs and stuff I've listened to through the years that would be I guess considered off the radar or not as popular or whatever so I mean I I feel that I know pretty well executed or produced music when I hear it, uh, at least to my ear. So, I mean, I'm being critical on more grounds than just, oh, they don't measure up to Deep Purple in 1970. Like, I, right. that would be, you're right, that wouldn't be fair. But um, I'll, I'll give credit where it's due. But right now, I just really feel like the singer is not doing it for me. Not doing it for you. Well, let's see if, uh, see if he can do it for you with this next song, St. Louis. And I, I usually say St. Louis, but I think they say St. Louis when they sing it. So let's let's listen to this song. All right. Song is under six minutes, which is refreshing. This is a cover. Cover of a song by the Easy Beats, written by George Young and Harry Vanda. It released it was released as a single but it failed to chart. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> 
Honestly, it kind of has like a it kind of has a Brady Bunch vibe to it. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? it? Yeah, you're exactly. You know, I think you just put your finger on it. There's something about the song that kind of I don't say bothered me, but just was, I couldn't quite put my finger on and. <laughs> it's like it's that Greg Marsha and Peter you know grooving along. To it's it. not until the end of the chorus though, or da 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 da. da that part is definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I see Nikki on stage with like you know his jeans with the flowers on the ass, <laughs> like you know like. Na 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 na. I mean, that's just to say it sounds very poppy, which is a good thing. I think. It is very poppy. Uh, and it, I read somewhere that Deep Purple had this in their set early on, but I read in an interview with Nick Simper that he denied it. He said Deep Purple never played this song. I could totally see Mark One playing this song. Screaming's really good on this song. Yes. Almost is kind of a Grand Funk vibe to it, too. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> Wait a minute I'll I'll, I'll I'll have to tell you later <laughs> Like after the show Or, <laughs> or after the song No no after the song <laughs> I was like oh man it must be real bad If you need to wait till after the show No 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 after the song <laughs> Yeah, this is really like. Yeah, you could like clap your hands to this. This has got a good groove to it. I like it. Yeah. Very those Richie bends right there. kind of going crazy at the end of the song. You know, Nikki on the intro, the the outro. <laughs> yep. I love that. All right, now that one was good. I mean, I know we're like, I was laughing at it and stuff, but it was just because it was like, it was so poppy in the vein of like, the, like it made me think of like a, like a, like the Brady five or something, but it was like, <laughs> um, but actually like the, the, the way that that song came together was definitely the best on the album so far. I mean, uh, I don't know if it was because it was a cover song and maybe they had like practice it more or something. It sounded more pulled together. Um, mm-hmm. I like the vocals um, on it a lot better. Um, the thing that I was laughing at though was is like the guitar solo <laughs> sounded like he was just like, they were like, Dude, it's your turn. He's like, oh, you know, he's like futzing around. They're like, not too late. And then he just like missed his opportunity. Like, <laughs> like he was like caught off guard. Like, do you remember the thing it reminded me of is, do you remember the the album that we used to have, um, Bad News? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do you remember the Warriors of Genghis Khan? Yeah, like the, the, uh, 
That's right. like the, the, the mandolin solo was like, <laughs> he sounded like he was just like fussing around. There's also that one song with the, like, uh, duh, duh, when the, and uh, like, hey, duh, duh, what? It's your turn. He's like, oh, duh, duh. He's like, oh, because they're all like playing solos over that part. And then he comes in yeah. with the Led Zeppelin solo at the end. But, but yeah. it was like, they're like, oh, shit. And then he like he plugs in and you can like, Ur! and then he's like, me, and they're like, not too late. You know? and I like the didn't... idea that he wasn't even plugged in. <laughs> like He was just sitting there like, what, huh? Like not even plugged in during the song. Yeah, I would recommend that to anybody. I don't even know how we found this album. I don't know if I did or oh, if Bad did. News? Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. If, but, yeah, if you don't know Bad News, it's the guys that were in The Young Ones doing this album. And if you know The Young so. Ones, I guess. Uh, but it's the same guys, except for the, the, was the guy that played Mike, I think. He was replaced with someone else. But Vivian was like the guitar player, singer, and... Yeah. Neil played the bass and Rick Mail. Uh, but it was just he, really, it was really oh, fun. The drummer, I think, was the only one that wasn't in the young ones. Yeah. But yeah, it's a great, great album. Lots of fun. Yeah. So I would, I would recommend anybody pick that up. Uh, just kind of like a um, spinal tapish type of uh, thing. Yeah, it's like an audio play sort of thing. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. But, but that's what the guitar solo reminded me of was one of those where they were just like, they gave him one take and he like screwed it up and it was just like, oh, okay. I mean, that guitar solo was just bad. I'm sorry. It was, it was not good. Uh, that's great. All right. Your rating. Um, but despite that, uh, that one blemish on the song, I'll, I'll give it a three for, uh, for effort and catchiness. Yeah. I'm I'll giving it a three too. You know, if it, if it had to do with placement on this album, I'd probably give it a one. I just feel like, where does this song come from? I, I, I really don't like this era of music where they're just cramming random covers into albums that don't fit. And this is just yet another example of this where they're just like, oh, show me the way to St. Louis. Yeah, let's let's do that. After the three songs we heard, that song has no right being on this album. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, but they were probably, all right, we're short a song, and we really like this song, so eh, eh, screw it, let's put it on. Yeah, but it's like, ah, I've got a vulture blood, blood of a vulture, and then it's like, oh, I'm so sad, this girl, she left me, and then he continues that onto the second song, and then it's all of a sudden, show me the way to St. Louis. <laughs> like, what? And again, it's it's not a concept album. I guess it doesn't have to, like, as a song, it's probably the best produced on the album so far. Yeah. But it just doesn't go with the album. And again, you can do different things on an album. And if they had taken, if if they had jumped around a lot more on this album, I think that would be fine. But given what we see before that and what we see after that, that's smack in the middle of the seven tracks. Before and after that is just, it doesn't gel at all with St. Louis. Well, maybe... Maybe he was over his depression and decided to take a trip to Missouri. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> you I, know, I hadn't looked excited. at it from that angle. And he was excited. He's going to St. Louis. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't uh, be? <laughs> I don't know. If this was a concept album. Uh, <laughs> if this, yeah, that, that, I guess that would be the concept. Well, let's see what happens in St. Louis with this next song, Ritual. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, this might sound familiar to you. 
Oh my god, is that ring that neck? <laughs> it sure is. Oh, Nikki. <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, they still ring that neck from another band anyway, so why not just... Oh no, that band still ring the neck from them. Because they stole Child in Time from them. There you go. The St. Louis? And <laughs> <laughs> a standard this is like the standard blues song. They're like, oh, we need one more song for the album. It's one four five, guys. You know the you know the routine. Wow, uh, Nikki is really prominent in the mix here. Yeah, well, he was the he was the big star in this band, so I'm sure he made sure he was. Not that it's a bad thing, but this sounds like Rod. I could see here Rod Evans singing this. Mm-hmm. Sounds like he's struggling on this song, like he's... They, they might have just banged out a bunch of these songs in one day and his voice was starting to go. The Ritual. He's singing about Satan. I thought I thought he's saying that Satan has plenty of lives to sell. Trying to do something controversial. After the whole good wholesome family fun of going to St. Louis, now he's singing about Satan. See what I mean? Like like where does that song come out of? He, maybe he went to St. Louis to start a cult. <laughs> or to to sacrifice a goat to Satan. Or a war horse to Satan. Oh, there you go. Maybe the guy on the cover of the album is feeding poison to the horse. He's eating something. But yeah, so it had to have been Nikki just being screw you guys. I'm throwing ring the neck at ring that neck at the beginning of the song. I guess he having this album on in the background. Like as a teenager throwing this on and being like, yeah, some real dirty 70s rock. Yeah. Smoking some weed. Maybe. In your parents' basement. <laughs> while looking at a big psychedelic tarp that's hanging on the wall. I don't know. This picture is starting to sound a lot less like my teenage years. <laughs> go trading off solos again oh 
Oh boy, the keyboard got the, the keyboard player got screwed. <laughs> the guitar player had like a 90 second solo and they're like, here, I saved four bars at the end for you. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, watch your nuts. Have fun. <laughs> Uh, throw him another bone here. <laughs> like, oops. <laughs> Sorry, I took up too much of that splat here. I'll put something at the end for you. Oh, he got, he got, he got pooned again. Yeah, not a lot. And Nick Semper knows how to bring those bass endings in. Jeez. Wow, that was a really... Yeah, abrupt ending. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel like... All right, we're like... All right, so we're... How many songs deep into the album now yeah we're like halfway through the album i don't i don't really love the vocalist yeah i don't think he's i don't think he's doing a great job i just uh it's not really my style of singer he's just kind of like you know what i was thinking of is, is like um we were talking about the other episode was um jeff cook mm-hmm. you know i feel like he's trying to be a jeff cook type of singer but he's not as good yeah like in that style of singing, like that kind of raspy, uh, kind of almost like uh, yeah, bluesy type of singing, but it's just, it's almost kind of like, and again, it, it could be the, it, it could be the recording sessions. Maybe they're trying to bang out too many songs or just the, they weren't producing his vocals great, but it's just, he doesn't sound like he's got a, like a lot of like oomph behind it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And even this song in particular, it's just like, yeah, it was cool that the bass was pretty high, but it just sounded like it was just almost like drums and bass and there was like no guitar like in the background kind of filling it out. Like it was it was very like there's a lot of like just open space in these songs that I don't really like. Well, he would go on to do a lot of stuff with Rick Wakeman. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say it could be a situation like a Candy Given situation on the first Zephyr album where you're up to the end of the album. You're like, oh my God, my head's going to explode from the sound of this voice. And then you listen to her in the other albums. You're like, oh, this is great. You know, yeah. she, she, they did something with the production. Maybe so, something, maybe something she did as well. But I can listen to her on the other Zephyr albums with no problem at all. I think she's fantastic. But that first mm-hmm. album starts off good. But two, three, four songs in, you're like, oh man, I, I can't take this, <laughs> this, it's it's like they're just hovering in this one frequency band that's just drilling into your skull and that yeah, to me sounds like cool. that that sounds like a, a production problem like they should have been able to do something with the production to make that not be quite so uh, shrill yeah well with him i guess it's not shrill but it's it, but he's still hovering in that one that one frequency band that's just it gets it it wears on you yeah so um yeah again despite all that i will um i'm gonna give it a three because i actually kind of like the energy surrounding the track uh despite its many flaws that i found with it um i'm gonna get i'm gonna give it a 2.5 not crazy about that song in particular but I'm I'm not, I'm never usually a big, we've talked about this time and time again. I'm not a big fan of the filler blues progression song. I think Mark three deep purple did it absolutely better than anyone ever has, but it's like that 
go to, oh, we need another song. Let's just do a standard blues progression and throw some vocals over it and some solos. Well, and it's well, it's I mean, tired. At least, at least it wasn't. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> it wasn't place in line. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know what? To me, that is probably the 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 laziest like worst type of blues that somebody I mean this dun, at least dun, it's like, dun, dun, dun. oh yeah when you do that it's just like oh come on like it, yeah it, it's it, totally lazy absolutely but I mean but I mean this kind of blues like yeah you could pick it out it's like all right it's like kind of a blues thing but I mean like I like this I mean at least it's kind of fast paced like higher energy I mean you see it for what it's for but I mean it's like you know it's not like that or like done 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 you know like that just like that standard like you know kind of crappy ass i don't know generic generic yeah generic and like you're just like all right anybody could do this and i mean yeah anybody could do this too but i mean at least it's like kind of kind of rock and like i could see this could be one of those songs where it's like if if like my like if we put a band together and we did something like this it would be like we could do something with it yeah i I, I'm a big fan of like I love the blues and I think it's totally a gr- I think it, I think it can be a great thing. I think it's best when you don't even think about the fact that it's the blues when you don't hear it. Like and that's what I thought was great about the Mark III blues stuff. You didn't, it wasn't until you sat and actually really paid attention, like oh they're just doing a standard blues progression, but they're doing interesting things with it. And I love. Uh, there's so many blues players and blues artists that I really, really love that make it not sound uh, hackneyed. Yeah, dull, whatever. So yeah, I get you. All right. So they've 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 started with Vulture Blood. Then they decided they had a no no chance with this burning woman. They go to St. Louis. They perform a ritual. Now for the concept album. Now he needs after after this ritual. He he's like I need some solitude. I've just this has been. This has been a big day for me. This is our this is our own our own spin on what's going on. Yeah, this here. is our, yeah this is our spin on we're we're turning Warhorse album into a concept album. Solitude. Yes, come on this journey with us. So it starts with like this kind of discordant chord progression. This is the longest song on the album in almost nine minutes. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not looking this, forward to it. This one will t- test our patience. Trying to make everything into this epic composition. Oh god! Ah oh, no, I can't. <laughs> Little bit of a uh, little bit of April in there, maybe. Could be. Or they're trying to make it like that. And it turns into the Who. Yeah, very April. <laughs> that little like almost flamenco. Oh yeah, this is like sounds just like the beginning of April. Yeah, 
I'm convinced this is a as this is a production issue. I mean, I guess it was the style of the time, but it's a lot of whiny lyrics. <laughs> oh. More of that Ted Neely sort of. Except Ted did it way better, in my opinion. Something about hearing somebody sing, you know, how can I live? I want to die. It just sounds like Jesus yeah. Christ Superstar lyrics. I mean, I guess it just goes to show you that when you, how they were talking about, Ian Gillen was talking about how, like, he just kind of just crapped out some lyrics, like, like space truck. And they're just like, let's throw out a bunch of space terms. <laughs> and it's like, and they thought it was stupid, but sometimes stuff like that is more iconic and makes more sense than when you're trying so hard like this to be meaningful. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, but I also think a lot of that has to do with Ian Gillen could sing anything and make it sound, make it become iconic. I think particularly in the early days, he wasn't a great lyricist. I think his lyrics got better and better as he went on. But it but didn't, I mean, I guess it the, didn't the matter that you don't have to you don't have to make so much sense or put so much into it. I always wished I could sing like Ian Gillen or Glenn Hughes or Stevie Wonder or something, because it's like you could just sit at a piano or a guitar and just start playing and sing any crap. And people are just going to be like, oh, my God, this guy's brilliant. No matter how bad what the lyrics you're singing are. Doing some volume swells there. I feel like they were trying to be out of tune. Well, there's that there is that chord in the progression that is intentionally discordant. Yeah, they're trying to be dissonant on purpose, but it's like and it's very like jarring to like the ear. And I, I personally don't like it. Like, I mean, I get what it's supposed to do, but it's very hard for him to sing over that. I mean, I think he does a pretty good job singing over it. It just sounds bad to the ear because like you said because of the dissonance but here we are like the halfway mark of the song like is this going anywhere else or are we just going to keep doing this cycle again and again and here might be our answer Nicky's really laying it down, though. Gotta say, he's probably the highlight of the album is his bass playing. Yeah. I like that little... What do you think the the Warhorse's name is? 
don't know, Rusty? No, that Rusty's a good. It's a good name for a horse. Rusty the horse. And especially with the whole out al- the, the whole album cover looks like it's covered in rust. <laughs> it's it's the rust hued. His bass playing almost reminds me of, like the bass playing on hair. Oh yeah, okay. Makes me kind of wish I was listening to hair right now. <laughs> it's kind of like, is this guy still going on about all this? <laughs> oh man. I can find the lyrics for this song. Oh, here we go. It's kind of another just sad sack song. Yeah. Pains of a thousand weary souls, men of a thousand wasted times, a thousand lifetimes will he die, men walks himself forever free, love of a thousand wilted days, men of a thousand shambled ways, man for himself, a man must be, starved for himself forever free. And it just goes on and on. I don't know. I, I just think it's like it's trying too intentionally to be something important. Yeah, my love, hate, and my loneliness, and my fevered, fearless life. Mine is but a soul disgrace. They all combine in their hate to split my mind. (laughs) The first line of the song is, people make me cry. like man have some self-respect man pick oh, yourself way, up way, way to bring us way to bring us all down ashley <laughs> i don't know what do you think about solitude oh it makes me want to run and hide and be in solitude myself Oh God! I, I mean, we're the. You know what? I wasn't even paying attention through half of the song, to be honest. That's how like just zoning out. Well, it's very again. It's there's a few good ideas in there, but it's very repetitive, and it doesn't. You keep expecting it to build to something, but it doesn't really. No, it builds to disappointment. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, yeah, two, two for me. Like, and I'm I'm being generous. I think I don't really like it. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with it too as well. Just mostly based on the length, like again, and I I don't know if part of it is I'm not trying to be facetious, but I don't know if part of is of of it is them lengthening the songs intentionally because they need to fill the album. But I feel like all of these songs, well, almost all of these songs, could have been 
two minutes shorter and gotten the same point across. Oh, absolutely. If there was I anything mean, interesting going on, you know, it's one thing trading solos. Again, I get bored with that pretty quick, but at least it's something. But if there was something more interesting going on musically, like a different part to the song, yeah. there weren't. there's not a lot of sections. It's mostly just that repetitive thing going on and on. Yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was just really long and meandering and just trying, trying too hard to be like, uh, like, uh, like the, uh, the, what was the other, the other song, um, the other long song, like, uh, no, was it no chance? And they're all basically around, well, except for, they're mostly around the six minute mark, except for solitude, which is almost nine. Yeah. But But when you look at, you look at April, that was 12 minutes long, which don't get me wrong. That's a little too long. But there are so many different parts to it and so much different things going on that even listening to all that, whatever, nine minute musical intro is interesting, at least because there's constantly new things going on. And then once the actual song kicks in, it's like, oh, it's yeah. such a payoff. It, it's, it makes everything worth it. And in this yeah, song, this it doesn't work towards that payoff. No, it's like a was saying just really meandering like just trying too hard to be something that it's not to like aspire to like those really kind of long like anthem like it like important songs with a message and it mm-hmm. just just missed the mark i think all right um okay last song on the album the closing track woman of the devil sounds pro- sounds promising which he, he comes out of solitude and this is who he meets. In woman, this must be the woman he's been complaining about for the entire album. <laughs> She's of the devil, I tell you. Let's listen. Gong going on there. Very slow plotting little organ organ intro. It sounds evil. She sounds like of she's of the devil. I. Nice little bass slide there. It was like a Glenn Hughes <laughs> style slide. Ooh, he did a double right there. <laughs> I, Nikki. I do enjoy that. I, I'm a big fan of that, Nick. following their standard formula of starting off a song with this with an odd intro and then going into something different at least I think they'll be going into something different
Nikki. Nikki. <laughs> Wah guitar going on there. Whoa! This is a nice groove. Kind of more of the same with the vocals, though. <laughs> the whole world's against me because my woman hates me. Probably some of his best singing right there. Good singing. This groove is great. I think he, I, I mean, he must have just been in a really bad relationship. He seems really upset <laughs> about this whole relationship. And I, I feel like. I mean, I don't know how old this guy was at the time. He was probably in his like mid twenties, so it's like I feel like I should give the guy a pass. Like, we've been there, dude. I get it. It sucks. I feel like as even though he's older than me now, I feel like as an as a much older man, I should just be like, you know what? You're just kind of a young, dumb guy who probably doesn't realize that you were the problem in your relationship. <laughs> Nice organ. I like this organ player. I don't care what anybody says. And by anybody, you mean me, right? <laughs> I don't care what you say. <laughs> oh, what's his name again? Frank Wilson? Yeah, Frank Wilson. The most... Sounds like It sounds like a name they'd give you if you were... Uh, if you are in like a witness relocation program. Ah, this is my buddy Frank Wilson. But wait, man, he's a good, good keyboard player. Yeah, Frank Wilson, Prudential Insurance. Nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll be your adjuster for your insurance claim. <laughs> I know this is a cool groove they're laying down in the background here. I like, I like this song. I think it's a good album closer. Nice little jam going on. But I think his the vocals are very It's like he's got that same thing on almost every song, so I I don't know how he branches out on the next album, but it is repetitive. I like what they're going for with the song for sure. I'll never forget uh, our friend uh, 
our friend Scott and the Beastie Boys album Hello Nasty came out I was really loving it and he, he told me He's like, I can't. I don't like that album because every song has the same rhythm to the vocals. And then I was like, damn it! And he's like, kind of ruined the album for me. <laughs> but I feel like a similar thing with this. It's like every every vocal has. Uh, although I still really like that album, just to be clear. But I, I feel like this album suffers from that very similar cadence, similar rhythm to the vocals. And the St. Louis yeah. song is the only one that really steps out as being a little different. But again, they we're probably listening to this guy's earliest possible work and to hear what he does in the second album or what he does with Rick Wakeman later on, I'm I'm sure he matures quite a bit. I mean, if Rick Wakeman was keeping around him around for a long time, he's got to be. I, I mean, I'm sure he's got to be putting out some good stuff. So that concludes the Warhorse self-titled album. What do you think of Woman of the Devil? Two point five, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah. Are we done yet? Or is this over? <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it a three. Not not exceptional. I'm sorry. There was some. There was a good groove in the middle, uh, but and the 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 vocals like the I guess the chorus vocals or whatever mm-hmm. like were actually the best like produced vocals probably on the album. But I don't know as as a whole. I just think the album suffered from bad production and they probably didn't get enough time in the studio or time to work out the songs. Yeah. Uh, or I, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how well they gelled or whatever. You know what I mean? Like if they were like, if they were just kind of like they, Hey, let's get a band together. And did they really just kind of write songs together and click or were they just a bunch of people that were like, Hey, let's go into the studio. And they didn't really, because that's kind of what it sounded like. I didn't really that's, hear. That's the question mark with all this. And, and I searched high and low and can't find a great deal of information on this album or what went into it or what the preparation for it was. In fact, most of these guys, uh, I think Nick Simper is the only one that even has a Wikipedia entry. The others have like Discogs entries and then... There's just nothing. I mean, I've, I've even looked for some of those old like GeoCity sites, fan pages, things like that. And I just can't find really anything on these guys. So, you know, Ged Peck, the guitarist, had the most information about him. But the mm-hmm. others, I really couldn't find much. So if anyone out there listening has some more information to, sh- to, to shed, I, I put it even out on Twitter twice within the last couple of weeks. Like, hey, we're doing a Warhorse album. Anybody got anything they want to share? And it was kind of like crickets. There's a few like of the Mark One fans that have been following us that had some stuff to say about Warhorse and enjoying them. And I put it out this morning uh, early this morning to say, Hey, we're tonight. We're recording the Warhorse episode. Does anybody have any like, contemporary reviews of the album or what was going on at the time? Nothing. So I, wow. I searched to see there's nothing like in Rolling Stone or anything like that. Unless there's stuff I'm missing, you know, the, these folks that follow us and, and listen to the show are really knowledgeable and have immense amounts of information at their fingertips. And if they're silent, then I'm thinking there's not a ton of information out there about this. 
band, but I'd be willing to learn more. And I have not, I've heard that their next album is pretty good and I haven't really taken a dive into it yet. When we get to that, who knows, but what we're doing for the next few episodes is to take an episode for each member and see like, what's this member been up to since we last saw them? And what's this member been up to? So we're not going to go into the next war horse album right after this. We're going to jump around a bit. And then after that, it'll probably (laughs) John's like, Oh, thank God. After that, you will jump around kind of a little more randomly, but right now we want to, we want to check in with basically what was the first thing every member of deep purple did after they left deep purple, essentially for the next who knows how many episodes. And that's where we, uh, where we started with, with Nick Simper and Warhorse. The only right. information I really have otherwise on the album is that it was re-released in 1984 as Vulture Blood. So they actually called it Vulture Blood. Why? Again, I don't know who makes these decisions. Why do you feel like you, you feel like that's going to be what sells this album? Like the, the title of it? I have no idea why they did that, but that's what happened in 1984. Interesting. And as far as I know, they didn't change the album title. I mean, I'm sorry, the album cover, but again, I'm, I'm not, a. I don't have a ton of information about it. So, Oh, here's actually a, Oh, they did t- change it. Actually. I just found a picture of the, of the album cover for vulture blood. It looks uh, looks a lot more amateurish. I'll share it with you here, but it looks it kind of looks more amateurish. It's just a yellow album. It's mm. I'm trying to make out what that even is. It looks like kind of like a robotic, like a robotic Trojan horse head or something. It looks like it looks like the it looks like the predator. Looks like the head yes. of the predator. The thing is like the, the like the, the predator's hair. the predator's mask and the hair, yeah. Yeah. And it's got these big like it's almost like a, like an ATAT legs and it's stepping on the vulture uh, like it looks like carved out of rock. It says vulture blood. It's actually a cool looking album cover. It's a cool concept if they if they flesh that out a little bit more. It kind of reminds me almost like the Ian Gillen band like Clear Air Turbulence like if they mm-hmm really polish that up it could be a kind of cool concept but i don't know really what the heck it has to do with the album probably just as much as that dumb horse does rusty (laughs) (laughs) rusty (laughs) rusty the war horse well i gotta (laughs) rusty the war horse i I gotta i don't know i gotta say i got a big like just yeah overall this this album big Big thumbs down for me, I think. Yeah, I can't see as I'm going to be spinning it too much more after this episode. Uh, Again, I I feel like it's got some good moments to it, but it just doesn't, it doesn't come together. I mean, it's one of those, those uh, things that's just kind of, um, it's interesting in the context of that, this guy was part of Deep Purple, and here's what he did later, and I would never listen to it again. Oh, I've got to say, honestly, I think he's. I think his performance on this is excellent. His his bass playing oh, stands out. It's really good. It's inventive. He's all over the fretboard, but not in like an a uh, not in an obnoxious way. Really good grooves he's laying down. 
and and it again just highlights the bullshit of saying, "Oh, we, Nikki Simper wasn't playing base good enough for Deep Purple." I mean, that was that was just bullshit. I mean, that's yeah, I agree. I mean, if um, I think it just proves that if he was, if he was still in Deep Purple, if say if Roger Glover was never in Deep Purple, if he was in a band where the musicianship was as high as it was and they had those songs and he played on them, then I think he would have fit right in. Uh, it would have, he, he would have been a lot better rather than, I mean, this was a showcase for him on like a pretty, just not a great album. Well, unfortunately, but I mean, you could pick out some bright spots and like one of the consistent ones was his bass playing, but I mean, it wouldn't be enough for me to, like I said, ever give it another spin. Right. But I mean, but I mean, that's the, that's kind of the, the, the gamble that you take with the deep purple extended family, Yeah. Uh, which I mean, some of them have really paid off for us over the years and other ones we have just not been interested in. So it's like, uh, right. you know, I mean, we could, we could have hated the Tommy Boland solo albums. We could really like Warhorse. How, how dare you? Nick Semper's <laughs> Fandango. <laughs> yeah. I'm you, just saying. And you love Nick Semper's Fandango, so. I thought it was pretty good at the yeah. time, but um, but no, my point being yeah, at the is time, like a few months ago, <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. No, um, I, I, I thought it was really surprised. good. I think that was a good direction, and that was only a well. I think that was late later seventies. Yeah, but, but it. But uh, but I mean, I guess my point being is is that of all the people that you could have, I mean, of course, it's a. I think it's friggin' blasphemy to say that any of Tommy Boland's albums were horrible, but you could have been that person to listen to them and be like, no, I don't like this, but like you could have listened to this or captain beyond or something. And that would have been your favorite album. So it's sure. uh, or right. So, well, and everyone's, um, you know, we got every time we highlight one of these little areas, like a whole new set of people come up out of the woodwork and like, Oh, and they have all this information and the stories to share. And then you move on to a different era of deep purple or a different thing. And those people go away and a different set of people come out and some of them stay throughout the whole thing. But there's a lot of different nooks and crannies to the extended family. And uh, there's, there's something in there for everybody. That's the great thing. But I put it to you, the listeners, I challenge anybody to come out of the woodwork and tell me that I'm wrong and that this album is exceptional. <laughs> exceptional. <laughs> that that might that be they, a little much. En- or that they enjoy it. I mean, I've, I'm not trying to be a... I've, I mean, I've already heard people that say they enjoy it. So that, that definitely exists, but it, it's... Again, but I, but I would like to see, like, maybe what other people's thoughts are on it. Like, why, why, does, why does somebody enjoy this album? Like maybe what am I? What are we what missing? I, yeah, what am I not seeing? I I think a big part of it does come from not having listened to it a thousand times growing up. I think if you, and it's not true of everything, but if you you do have this nostalgia factor, and if you hear it when you're younger and grow grow up with it and spin it enough times, then you just you, you do tend to have a more favorable opinion of it. And you know sure. if you heard come taste the band for the first time now, would you like it as much? I don't know. I'd like, I imagine that I would, cause it seems to tick a lot of boxes for me, but, but a lot of what I'm, what I'm hearing when I'm listening to it is the memory of listening to it at the age I just, you know, and when I was a young teenager and all that sort of stuff and what was going on in my life, it's not just, just the music. There's all these emotional components too. 
Right, but I mean, I think you'll find a lot less people that'll say that about the first Warhorse album as opposed to... <laughs> I, I definitely agree. <laughs> I one def of Deep Purple's albums. I mean, you already proved that with the Who Do We Think We Are, which is one of the... That was your argument for why you think it's so good. It could be, yeah. I mean, I, I still do like it, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure I have some of those albums as well, so... All right, so... Where does this album fit in in the rankings? Um, they they aren't showing up for some reason. Oh, I just refreshed them. They should they should be there now. Oh, okay. Hang on. I'm reclosing and reopening my uh my document here. Give me a sec. And oh, there we go. So uh, Warhorse uh, comes in at a uh. uh 2.5 for me and a 2.71 for you. It looks uh, like it's it's combined, our lowest ranked. Uh, well, aside, aside from the complete episode six, which isn't really a true album, it's our lowest well, ranked. Lowest ranked right next to Shades of Deep Purple, mm -hmm. um, which isn't surprising. So our combined rating is a 5.21. So yeah, so... Well, I mean, if you think about it in terms of like the episode six works like that and shades are the lowest so far and our, our variance is very small. Like uh, you, you liked it slightly, slightly better than I did in some areas. Um, I was pretty, pretty harsh on it. Um, but it's our, it's our overall, our second lowest ranking Again, if you complete, if you consider the D, the complete episode six compilation a right. album, which it really isn't. But I mean, um, I don't know. Do you think it's? I, well, I mean, I guess it'll become more apparent, like as we're moving along the Deep Purple family tree. I mean, not kind of not fair to rank this against like some of the Deep Purple albums. It's kind of um, tough. Yeah, put this against Machine Head. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or, well, or I mean, like, you know, uh, burn or something like that. But I mean, it's like, I think that once, I think it'll be more fair once we get more ratings and rankings in with other of the family albums. Yeah. Uh, in total. So right now, I think, uh, you know, poor, poor Warhorse has got the distinction of being the first post Deep Purple album uh, that we're, we're discussing. So it's going to have to wallow for a little bit while, uh, for a little while. Uh, and, in the 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 lowest spot sorry warhorse yeah it'll probably be there for a little bit but it is what it is sorry, sorry nikki we love we love you nikki we love everyone associated with deep purple okay so that's warhorse the warhorse album self-titled album and now we've got some history notes this week in purple history this week when this comes out being september 23rd through september 29th some great stuff happening here. On September 24th, 1969, Deep Purple performed the concerto for the first time. And I found this really old, what must be a Betamax cover wow. for it, uh, which I'd never seen before, and I just stumbled upon it. It's got That's like cool. a picture of all three of them. It looks like it's probably a cropped photo of them in front of Albert Hall. Mm -hmm. And 
It's got a little ticket on the back of it. It's kind of cool. Cool little. Looks like it was stolen from a library or something. It's got a little library code on it. <laughs> it's uh, on September 26, 1990. David Coverdale quits White Snake, which obviously wouldn't last very long. Well, because he is White Snake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's weird. Like I'm quitting White Snake. It's like you are White Snake. I love it. Tommy Aldridge looks exactly the same. I tell you, he he looks younger the the older he gets. He's like Benjamin Button. And then uh, on this, September twenty fifth, nineteen ninety nine, thirty years later, they performed the concerto, very concerto heavy Newsweek hmm. or History Week. They've compared the they they did the concerto in nineteen ninety nine, and I always will think of you reaching out to me on Facebook. Not too long after this came out, saying like, oh, "Did you ever hear that?" And I, I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it. Um, and it it, com- it combines like a kind of concert with the band. They play some of their some of their older songs. They go into the concerto. They play some newer songs, and then there's a whole section. They bring out Ronnie Dio. They do songs from the Butterfly Ball. It's 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 an a uh, an amazing concert i look forward to covering that one day and that would be multiple episodes because it's there's a lot on that performance that they did that would that would have been quite a show to see Mm. oh yeah amazing amazing performance there so that's it that's the history and that's warhorse and that's what we got for this week anything else to close us out any other final thoughts on warhorse (laughs) <laughs> you're, no, like, you're like I'm, no i just don't want to think about warhorse anymore I'm, I'm done thinking about warhorse for today <laughs> all right well with that then we'll bid you farewell until next week when we follow up with another member of deep purple and see what he has been up to yeah so long we'll catch you next week peace out thank you for listening to the deep purple podcast If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Is that you? Yeah. Look at you looking all in early 90s. Wow. Sound quality is kind of shit, but. Guess whose idea it was to cover this song? Not Dave. <laughs> <laughs> You barely get him to listen to the song. <laughs>